Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul Casey, and joining me today, we have two people from almost opposite sides of the world, actually. One guest you know, one guest you don't. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi there, I'm Rojan. I am one of the Canadian duo girls from Hawaii, if you were there. And I'm Andy, um, regular on the show. I think this is episode five now, isn't it, Paul, for me? You would know better than me, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It's episode five. (laughs) You're so beloved that I've lost count. I just think of you as constantly here with me, Andy. Oh, you're too sweet, mate. You're too sweet. (laughs) Um, So unlike a few episodes that you are going to hear coming up, this one is actually recorded after we went to Hawaii for Lost 2017, the Lost Con. Um, I do have a few that I that I banked beforehand. They're going to come out after this. But this was an episode that um, I'll be completely honest. I didn't really have anyone for this episode. And we were all sitting on the beach one night talking and I said, and Rojen was like, oh, I'd like to be on the show, I think. And I said, I have the perfect episode because it's the one, much like Andy's first time, it's the one that no one else wanted. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? I get the one that no one wants, which is weird to me because I really enjoyed this episode, actually. Yeah, me not so much. It was the first time when we watched uh, in translation, I was going into that expecting it to be bad and it was actually in a great episode whereas this one yeah i think this one had good moments which i'll speak about later but i don't think any of the good moments really came in the um the primary story arc of the episode yeah i think a lot of the the stuff especially the stuff at this point in the season that you care about or at least that i care about is definitely what was the b story in this episode yeah Um, for those who don't know, we're going to be discussing the episode maternity leave. Um, and, uh, but first, as is customary, when we have a first time guest, I wanted to ask you, Rojen, uh, how, like, how exactly did you get into Lost? Because we all have our various stories and I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. how you got into Lost and how you found out about the original Lost event, uh, in 2014. Okay, So listening to episodes of your podcast, I knew this was coming. And so I've been thinking a lot about kind of my journey with loss and also hearing a few of Andy's episodes. I felt like, oh, no, I'm going to get crucified by him because unlike a lot of people who um, are huge fans of the show, who went to Hawaii, who have been on the podcast, um, I actually got into the show after it had pretty much finished airing in its entirety. Like, <gasps> oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I was like, oh no, fake fan. But no, not at all. So what happened with me was okay. In 2010, I was 18. It was 12th grade, graduating high school, and um, Lost season six, I think, was kind of like about to begin. Um, when we so in grade 12 in our high school we always write our school plays and it's like this big long process it takes the entire year like we start from the summer before all the way up until April of our graduating year and our school play that year just happened to have this kind of storyline where our first act goes one way and then it ends and then we change 
one thing and everyone's storyline was connected and, and you kind of see how things could have been different, even though it's like the same play all over again, but then the outcome is different. And I loved that. I loved how all of the different groups were connected and how one thing changed um, just kind of the entire outcome of the play. And I remember while we were doing rehearsals and stuff, uh, my best friend, Faria, who was also in Hawaii with me, and I'm sure everyone knows us, the Canadian girls, um, she was like... That's literally what we call you, by the way. <laughs> I know. We're called the Canadian girls. I was like, I'm sure there were other Canadians there. Well, they're not, but we're the Canadian girls. And um, anyway, so she was telling me, you love the concept of our play so much, you have to watch the show that I started watching that her ex-boyfriend at the time introduced her to. It's called Lost. And she was like, you'll love it. It's so interesting. Da, 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 da. She kind of gave me an idea of it. I was like, okay, sure. And, um, and she was like, you have to catch up, though, because season six is like about to start and it's going to end, you know, at the end of this year, blah, blah, blah. So I remember, I think she gave me... No, this was before she gave me her DVD. So I watched the first episode and I, I can't believe that I felt this way at the time, but I remember watching and thinking, okay, there's way too much going on right now. Like there's a plane crash. Everyone's all over the place. Like it's like just complete chaos. And I think at the time I just had too much going on personally. So I didn't really enjoy it and kind of left it for a few months. Didn't go back to it. Um, until the show was completely over. And that's when we started watching again. She started watching it with me. And I just fell in love. It was amazing. It was the best thing I've ever seen. Um, we kind of had a ritual. She would come over every night, and we would watch, like, I think six episodes a night, maybe more sometimes. And I really liked it because I didn't have to wait between, you know, from week to week to see episodes. So everything made sense to me. I caught all of the little Easter eggs and things like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It was a really, really amazing journey for me in that sense. And again, same with Hawaii for 2014. I think in its very, very early stages is how Perea found out about it on Twitter or something. And she was like, oh, my God, there's going to be some kind of get together in Hawaii um would you want to go and I was like yeah of course and so we saved up got an Airbnb we went to the event had the best time ever and it wasn't until the last night of the actual con that we um made such good friends with so many people that we obviously went back and visited three years later and yeah that's kind of my story I guess so thank you for yeah, shout out to you made my life a lot better <laughs> I have to ask um, did you know anything about Lost, though? Like, did you know about the hatch? Like, did you know there was going to be a man down there? Did you... No. Things like that? No, not at all. Um, surprisingly, I had never um, seen any spoilers. The thing with me, um, even though Lost was so big at the time, like, I watch a lot of true crime. That's what I do. I watch a lot of crime-type shows. So I hadn't seen anything about it, heard anything about it. The only thing that I had heard about Lost was, um, and I can't remember if Perea told me or if I saw it somewhere, they were like, oh, you know, when someone dies on the show, they don't really die. So I just kind of went in with that idea of, oh, no one's actually really going to die. So I remember when I watched um, the season one finale and texted Perea, I was like, oh, yeah, Boone just died. And she was like, why are you not more upset? I was like, well, he's not actually dead, is he? Like, he's going to come back. 
which he kind of did. So that was the only thing I knew. Otherwise, I didn't know about the hatch, about smoke monsters, nothing. I had no idea what was coming. So, And I actively avoided spoilers because I hate spoilers more than anything. Well, now, was it you that told me? Because I, I the first time we, we met in 2014, I had heard actually yours and Perea's story at the same time. So I, I may be mixing the two up. But I believe it was you that said that uh, you did get, I mean, it hasn't happened in the current rewatch of this show just yet, but you did get the minor spoiler of the writing on the hand. Is that right? The not Penny's boat? Oh, yes. And I think the way that happened was actually from the DVD set itself. So, oh, I do remember this. Oh, my God. I'm having like my own weird flashback right now. Um, I remember when I went to go put in the... Um, DVD. So I think we were using Perea's DVD at the time, and she kind of has that special box set with like the the big black one with all the like fancy stuff and the scroll. So I think I went to go open yeah. the DVD to put it in, and it was that season where like all of that happens. And I remember opening it and looking, and I just went, "Not Penny's boat." And Perea, who was sitting on the couch behind me, she was like, "What did you say?" I was like, "Not Penny's boat." And she was like, where did you see that? She was like, stop looking at that. I was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Like, now I know that it means something. <laughs> uh, so as we said, we will be talking about the episode Maternity Leave. And uh, I, I, I have to say, this is actually, I watched this probably a few weeks, well, maybe about a month or two before going to Hawaii, because in watching to take notes for other episodes i i just watch them all in order and if it's one that i'm not uh taking notes for i just that's why i didn't that's why i had to rewatch it again today because i just didn't have any notes for it so i've actually mm -hmm. watched it twice within the last like six months and i have to say even still i'm just not necessarily that big on this episode because i i as i said earlier i just feel like the the b storyline is the one that i care about way more you know mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah. I could tell that you completely disagree with that, though, Rojan. <laughs> I'm not really just like it's not a particularly like interesting or wild episode. There are just certain things about it that I like, which um, we'll kind of get into. But just the fact that it's kind of like, you know, a no no boys allowed trek to the yeah. woods and stuff like that. I, those are the kinds of things that I that's like about exactly that. it. That's that's coming to something Sawyer says later on about um, exactly. no boys allowed. Um, exactly. well, I'll, I'll come to that topic later. I've got a note, note on that bit. <laughs> With that, uh, let's get into the episode. Um, I have, uh, we start out with Claire trying to calm Aaron down at night. She wakes Locke up to tell him that Aaron is sick and that she has to get Jack, but he won't let her walk through the jungle in the middle of the night and offers to go get Jack from the hatch and send him back to Claire. Yeah. Jack, well, the Jack and Lock bit in the hatch is good. It's about to come up. I just, I think any interaction between the two of them, um, I, I love. It's watching them back. Now, do you say that because of the fact that your perspective on favorite character changed? Maybe, and also that you don't actually get as many moments of just Jack and Lock talking to each other as you expect that you do, especially these like, which is chilled out moments where they're just talking like normal people um i don't know i just appreciate them i think i, I think because you don't get them especially 
going forward after this season, you really don't get them very often at all. So you, I just kind of, kind of appreciate them when you get them. I understand that. Um, as you said, in the hatch a few moments later, Jack and Locke talk about the baby and their house guest. They haven't heard anything from Henry all night. Um, honestly, that's all I really have. I, I didn't necessarily think as you, I mean, I totally agree with your con with your, with your thing of like, it's just a great conversation. I just didn't necessarily pick yeah. up on anything other than like, like you said, Oh, it's nice that they're just having a moment here. You know, I'll go over the whole episode because coming later, they have a few more moments. Sorry, Rogan. No, no, that's fine. I was just going to ask, um, for you guys, when you first watched kind of the introduction of Henry Gale, what did you think? Like, did you honestly think that he was maybe another or that he really was just someone who crashed on the island? Like, Yeah, I have a note down for that. And my note says, basically, <laughs> I don't think there was any lost fan in the world who didn't believe Henry Gale was actually who he said he was because Michael Emerson's acting is just like off the chain incredible the best actor on Lost by far or at least his, his portrayal of Ben I think I don't think anybody thought he was going to be another I thought that he was yeah oh so you believed he crashed um on the block. I was 100% convinced that he was Henry Gale and he was oh. who he said he was yeah I was I was with Locke I was with were, were you not no, I think I was. I think at the time I remember, and um, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but when the reveal happens that he's not Henry, I remember turning to Corinne and being like, no, he's always going to be Henry Yale to me. Like, I'll never think of him otherwise, which that very quickly changed, obviously. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Then, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, a great reveal. It was a great moment. And his acting is phenomenal. And that's why Ben's my favorite. You never know quite what's going on, if he's on your side or if he's not. And he just plays it so well. It's fascinating to watch. I always say, ex uh, except for Richard, Ben is my favorite as well. But Paul, did you, uh, you, you actually knew Ben was Ben, didn't you? I think that was one of the one things you knew. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. yeah, because uh, unfortunately I had not necessarily read a lot about like the storyline of the show, but I had read so many like positive things and, you know, like, I'll, you know, you always hear, especially when the show, like in the middle of the show, everybody would be like, Oh, they never actually answer any questions and reading all the yeah. entertainment news. It was always on like the lists of like either the best show of the year or the worst show of the year or whatever. So I remember having looked into it almost more from a production standpoint than anything else, but certain things that I had seen on Wikipedia, I, I, quickly learned where to click and where not to click, what sections to read, what sections not to read. And at one point I accidentally had clicked on something about the character of Ben or something like that. And then I, I clicked on it and it was a picture of Michael Emerson who I had known cause I've seen him in other things. And mm. I went, Oh, okay. This. And then when he was introduced as Henry, I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right here. I remember seeing that he was Ben and then I'm like, okay, obviously something's going on here. So that was, I was very much almost spoiled for that. Oh, uh, so you didn't get that moment of that reveal when it when it finally happens. So you were not admit. really. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. That it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, back at the beach, Claire is trying to cool Aaron off, and she hears a noise, and she thinks it's Jack, but it's actually Danielle Rousseau. And Claire is rightfully scared, seeing Danielle, and starts to yell for her to leave. Danielle mentions how Claire doesn't remember. And she has strange flashes and hears Ethan's voice, 
which leads to Kate running over and asking Danielle why she's in their camp, and she demands that she leaves as well. Uh, and Danielle had already asked questions about the baby and mentions that he could be infected. And after she finally leaves, Claire tells Kate that Danielle said, quote, there's something wrong with him, unquote. Yeah, which, <laughs> just a funny comment from my side of you when I was just watching this, because I didn't, I know that um, Rosen has been doing a fully full rewatch, so she's totally aware of the uh, relation, the state of relationships between the characters. But I quickly had to like remember, think um, through the interactions characters had up to this point because I I couldn't work out um, how hostile Danielle was supposed to be at this moment. Like just watching this episode by itself, I was like, so have they? I'm thinking like end of 7-7 seven, seven when they're getting on or like end of season one, I've got to work out when these interactions happening um, because they were being very hostile towards her and I was like, hold on a second, are they not friends yet? <laughs> yeah, which I think it's kind of this episode, by the end of this episode that she kind of gets more um, just accepted into the group because of um, just Claire remembering how she helped her and wasn't actually trying to lead her back to the others. So I feel like this is kind of that turning point for the character. Yeah, I think you might be right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, a few moments later, Jack and Claire are sitting and talking as she's explaining what's wrong. And Jack is telling her that babies get sick and he's trying to tell her that these are all common things that some babies go through. And normally, and I, Andy would be mad at me about this, because normally this is where I would say, and Jack just has terrible bedside manner, and I hate that character, and blah, blah, blah. But as I'm watching it this time, I'm like, okay, that's clearly not the only thing that's going on. Because as much as he's trying to tell her, like, listen, like, because he doesn't. He has a terrible bedside manner that's been established mm -hmm. on the show. But as much as he's trying to say, like, you need to listen to me, she's, like... Like she, he's there and she's listening, but she's not hearing him. So she doesn't even care really what he's saying. So it's not so much, and I'm realizing that it's not so much him saying like, you need to listen to me. I know what I'm doing. I'm a doctor, blah, blah, blah. It's very much both sides of they're both talking, but none of, neither one of them is really hearing each other. Yeah. And like I said earlier, about you know, appreciating those Jack and Locke moments together. I think even more scarce are moments when Jack is not um, all enraged and serious. So I really appreciate these moments when he's kind of like cool and collected and calm because you don't get very many of those. Very true. Absolutely. I don't know. And uh, well, in this moment as well, like Jack does have terrible bedside manner, but I mean, as a doctor, I'm sure he's had to deal with frantic new mothers, you know, freaking out over their babies all the time, people freaking out over things that he is trying to tell them, you know, it's not that serious. Like, I can tell because of the rash that it's um, whatever it's like, uh, whatever he said that uh, Aaron has. Um, but yeah, just as a young mom, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Your baby's sick, it's fussy, it's fevery and freaking out. So you're freaking out and the doctor's trying to tell you, you know, no big deal. I see this all the time. But obviously we know because of them being on the island, like circumstances are different. So I don't know, maybe he's just kind of being dismissive. Maybe it really is nothing. But I, I don't know, I kind of understand her being upset that he's not listening. 
Oh, I definitely understand it. I was I was mostly just saying in terms of I had a new appreciation for Jack's point of view because I'm not really the biggest fan of that character. And so just watching it this time and looking at it, try, especially trying to look at it from a non-hating Jack point of view, I, I got a new appreciation for kind of what he's actually going through in this scene. Fair enough. Doesn't Jack say at some point here, like, that they've been on the island for two months, no one's gotten sick? It's true. Like, no one's gotten sick? Like, regular kinds of sick? Um, well, the, the one guy had the rash in season one before they were playing golf. Um... Shannon had the asthma attack. And I, I think everybody's had, like, you know, they've, they've had to come to him or Sawyer for medicine, but not necessarily anything major that we've yeah. heard about. Gotcha. I can't stop thinking about, <laughs> about your relationship with Jack Paul. Do you not think you would enjoy Lost a lot more if you liked? I, Jack, I struggle to <laughs> understand how people can love Lost so much and not like Jack. Like, I just don't like the fact and I've, I've, I know he is. I believe me. I know <laughs> the thing that I don't, and we've, you and I, we've talked about this on mic and off mic. The thing yeah, I just I don't necessarily like you've got, you had some real like, hostility there. Like you really didn't like him. I always know that you like, you prefer other characters, but I always assumed you actually liked Jack to hear you say it like that. I'm like, the thing, um, the, the thing that I don't, the thing that I don't like about him, and I believe me, as I, I tend to agree more with with Locke's point of view on a lot of things, but it's one of the things that I don't necessarily like about Locke or any of the quote unquote leaders, is, and they all question each other on it, is who set any of them in charge, you know what I mean? And w- I, again, we've talked about this uh, several times because it's like, okay. Jack says, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And like Locke's thing is like, I'm a grown man. I shouldn't have to tell you what I'm doing. But because everyone else looks to Jack, it's almost like he gets lumped in and he has to follow whatever Jack says as well. Whereas in reality, Locke is a grown man. He has free will. He should be able to do whatever it is he wants to do. And that's the part that bugs me is like if Shannon and all of them want to follow Jack, that's fine. But Locke or Sawyer or any of the rest of them shouldn't necessarily feel bad about themselves or their choices just because they don't fall under exactly what Jack says to do. Locke does do whatever the bloody hell he wants to do. But how many times does he always like he like when they were blowing open the hatch, Jack, and because everyone else yeah. is there, Jack I is mean, like, "Are you going to pack it in?" And that's when Locke has to finally be like, "Yeah, I guess I am," because yeah, he put him on the spot in front of everybody else. You get used to making decisions. Jack is used to being in a leadership position. He's used to making decisions, so he makes them. I don't. If Jack wasn't making these decisions, Locke wouldn't be making these decisions. Jack makes decisions. The other that's and, and see that's the other stop, that's the other stop, thing that I don't like about Jack stop. is because he's constantly like, "Oh, I hate that everybody puts me in this leadership leadership position. I don't like being a leader. I don't like being a leader." But then he says it at one point, "Everyone wants me to be a leader until I make a decision they don't like." You can't have it both ways. <laughs> you know what? I mean, they work in conjunction with each other perfectly. Jack doesn't like having to be in charge of everybody's lives, but he is in charge. And he knows he's in charge and he has to make these decisions and he does and he does it well. Like my problem, my problem with Locke being a leader and versus Jack, Jack is a leader of the people. He does it for everyone's best interest. Locke 
doesn't give two flying fucks. Locke only cares about himself. I love Locke, but he doesn't make good decisions for the group. He's always he's only got himself at interest. Jack I, I do here. not I do not disagree with you at all. I do not disagree with you at all. I again, as I said, if people want to follow Jack, that's fine. I just don't think that everyone has to follow Jack, and Jack seems to think that because someone has appointed or multiple people have said he's the leader, he tends to make it that everyone has to follow what he says, and that's what I don't agree with. Rojan yeah, was going to say something. Point, but the way the world works is, especially if we were on an island, if people crashed on an island, it just makes logical sense for there to be one person in charge. Because as soon as there's, if you've got like three or four people on exactly the same level of importance making these decisions shit will work get done and it's just it's just the way the world works and some one person will fall into that and have them have the most authority i i i i think you're completely right i'm not disagreeing with you I'm just saying, just from a, from the perspective, and and as I believe it was Mike said it in one of the very first episodes of the show. Everything that we're watching, because it's with, with the thing that a lot of people don't like things about Kate and whatever. The perspective we're watching is we have way more information than all of these characters have because we're seeing everything. And I fully admit that that's what could be my issue is because I'm seeing so many other things where I'm just like, no, I think Locke is right because I have more information than Jack has at that moment. So I'm not saying that anything that Jack does is wrong. I'm just saying from my perspective, I don't agree with a lot of the things. Who do you think, if you if you were to be on the island here, you were just one of the survivors, um, I don't know, who do you think you would have followed? Like, try not to think about all the things you know about the show and what happens later on, but who do you think naturally you would follow? And, like, what's more valuable to you? Because Locke does do a lot of the hunting and the food stuff and blah, 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 but then Jack's the doctor, but then what's more valuable when you're on an island like that? Can I be completely honest? Yeah. I would probably follow Sawyer. That's interesting. I want to hear more about that. Like, the only that? the only reason is because he's the cool bad boy, and that's the guy I always wanted to be. So, like, that's why I would like follow him everywhere he goes. Like, I would be his shadow because I'd be like, I want to be like you. Would that get you killed on the island, though? Like, yeah, but you like, but like you said, if I don't it, putting out of my mind everything that I know about the island, just going with I crashed here, I would immediately look to him as like he's the cool guy. He seems to know what he's doing. He gets shit done. He doesn't much like Locke and and all the rest of them. As I said, anybody on like that A team leadership thing, he doesn't care about anybody else. That's the guy I would stick with. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, <laughs> and this is actually probably. I'm saying this is an insult to myself, not trying to toot my horn. I honestly think if I was stuck on the island, I would probably, I don't think I would have followed any of them. I think I would be in a similar position to what Locke is in, where I'm trying to lead myself or I'm trying to lead the group myself. And either I'm get Jack's getting in my way or I end up Jack's telling me what to do and I'm not listening. I honestly feel that's how I would end up being in this situation on the island. I want to it's, believe that, but also... I was going to say, no, no, I was just saying I want to believe that. But just me, I don't know, maybe seeing you on the island for, you know, a couple days and how you were taking care of your siblings and all that and making sure they were fed and alive and, you know, were able to get from one place to another. I don't know, maybe you're a little bit more like the Jack. So maybe that's why you're like Team Jack. 
team take care team be a leader step up and make sure everyone survives <laughs> yeah well, no, i almost got arthur killed at one point because we were we were cl- we went up on a hike and i and i wanted a really good photo opportunity and <laughs> um, we were climbing literally climbing up a waterfall and i and me being the um the dominant older brother i am i told arthur to i'll just climb across the waterfall you'll um it'll be a brilliant picture and it was a great picture um and then as he was walking back he was holding the rope he slipped down the waterfall holding onto the rope he only fell maybe like three or four meters just on his ass down the waterfall holding up like swinging from one side to the other on the rope um he was okay he he had a free he had a few bruises um poor guy i know and then a few days later he had to be on that thousand hour flight home we felt bad for him yeah (laughs) anyway i think both of them should step aside not team Locke, not team jack i'm team kate all the way let her take her rightful place as the leader (laughs) okay so claire however is not having anything that jack is saying to her uh she heard the word infected and that's what really stuck in her brain and that's when kate tells jack that danielle was there and that's when uh Jack reminds Claire that Danielle is crazy. And uh, as you said, Rojen, no one has gotten sick in the last (laughs) however long they've been there by this point. And he suggests that they let the fever run its course. But she is not so sure. Um, In the morning, she and Kate approach Libby and Hurley with zero tact as Claire goes to Libby and asks her about being a shrink and if she could possibly help her remember things from her amnesia. And then she goes to walk along the beach with Libby and basically explains all the events from season one, which that just seems like such a television thing. And it happens quite a lot on like most shows, but it's just it's such a television thing where it's like like that, that when uh, it's one of my favorite moments. But it's just so TV where Hurley says to his mom later where he basically just catches her up on everything that you need to know to get into season five, you know, and he's just yeah, like, there were the others, but then they, you know, they were the good guys, then they weren't the good guys, whatever. And like that, this scene with with uh, Claire telling Libby all of this just seems so television. Like, here's, you know, here's some exposition. I'm going to catch you up on everything that you missed while you were on the other side of the island. Yeah, not just that. It was the it was the response when in the second when they're walking um, back, and I've just got because it, I don't have a problem with them saying it that way. It's where Libby spells out some pseudoscience shit back to Claire for the audience saying, I don't think you've got amnesia. I think you're blocking it out. Blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm just thinking this is just for TV. Absolute bullshit. Um, Yeah. I think she tells her, um, you're like mixing up memories from before the Island and you're, you're just things like that. Yeah. It was really bad pseudoscience. I think they could have just not said that and just let her, remember it and i don't think the audience would be any less confused um and my other comment here is i think this this that there's two reasons i think that make me like this episode less and that's because maybe i'm getting old and things noises start to annoy me but number one does aaron ever stop crying in this episode it was hurting my head like i couldn't even listen to the conversations because all i could hear was aaron crying in the background and the second one, which we'll come to in a minute, is that noise when Claire starts having the flashbacks. It's just like penetrating my brain. 
Do I sound like I'm about 50 years old right now? Yes, but <laughs> I I do I do agree with you though. I kind of like the whole thing with Aaron crying in the background the whole time because that's really what it's like with a fussy baby, like dealing with fussy kids that just will not quit. And it just makes me think of when you're trapped on a plane and the parent hasn't put the kid to, to sleep right before it takes off. So they just scream the entire flight and it makes you want to just go crazy. I kind of like that that's happening in the background. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, oh, with the flashback sound. Yeah, I think Lostpedia mentioned something about this is an episode where the um, sound for the flashbacks is different than all the other episodes, which I thought was interesting because I think they also mentioned how the flashbacks in this episode all take place on the island as opposed to other episodes where you get the regular flashback sound and then things that happen off island. So I kind of I kind of like that, yeah. but it's, it's totally different. It's set to it's not, Yeah, it's not like the whooshing that goes in. It's that like ah, ah, noise that yeah. goes on. Wait, how, how does it go again? Yeah, you can just put that on. You can just cut it out and put it back in again if you want me to say it again. Um, it's a horrible noise, though. Uh, I think all this just shows that Andy has officially made his transition into a 50-year-old man. So. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, no, I was going to say, I actually do like the concept because it's weird. Like, I have a different opinion than a lot of people that I've talked with because, to me, this time, the flashbacks weren't necessarily flashbacks. They were memories versus every other time. And a lot of people seem to think, and I'm, I'm not saying that I don't or that I disagree I'm just saying I, I'm not 100% convinced on the fact that every time that we go into a flashback that means that the character is remembering that particular event I think it's just a device for us as the audience to relate what they went through in in a situation in their past to what they're going through I don't necessarily think that every time a character is always thinking this is exactly like the situation that I had to deal with years ago Versus right. this, which is actual memories and not just a comparison for us as the audience. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, I agree with that. In the hatch, Jack and Locke bring Henry some food and share a humorous exchange about using the facilities. Uh, Locke then hands Henry a book, The Brothers Karamazov. Henry makes an interesting reference to Stephen King as well, because I really love the fact that that is that they call back to that at the beginning of season three. Um, and then uh, outside the armory, Jack asks what the book was about, and Locke tells a tale about Hemingway being jealous of Dostoevsky and just jealousy in general, and he then switches to long-term plans about Henry, and Jack retorts that they don't even have a long-term plan for the button, but he says that if they have any other plan that he would love to hear it, and then we hear, and I, I I messed up my notes, but I totally like it better. I accidentally wrote Benry instead of Henry, but I think Benry <laughs> works a lot better. Um, I, I put, and we hear Benry chime in from the other room. How about you let me go? <laughs> the, whole way through, the whole way through season six. Did, did you watch the, you did, were you part of like all the forums and everything? Cool. Not really. I was on Twitter for a little bit during season six, because, but like I wasn't. There, there were so many of those. Like obviously, I'm sure you're familiar with Jate and um, Sate. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. like, and that the whole way through. So like everyone, people started calling him MIB. Um, 
so you'd have the man in black, but then before we knew, like in that whole thing between season five and season six, when you weren't sure if um, Locke was the man in black or whatever, basically we would, we he was called Flock the whole time for just Locke. Lock. So he yeah. was called Flock the whole time. I heard Flock. I heard Unlock was one yeah. of them that people called him. Smock. Or smoke, yeah. but with a C K, yeah. which doesn't make sense. Flock, I called him Flock the whole time, for, for like the whole of season six. I was calling him Flock, but there's so I many. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, I've, I've heard all the others, but I haven't heard that one. Yeah, I, Flock was a big one. That was that was like I said on, on Twitter. A lot of people would say that because they never gave him a name. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I just, like I said, I was just typing, and I just typed yeah. Benry, and I'm like, oh, this totally works. It's kind of like at the beginning of season two when I would say stuff, and Liam actually called me out on it at one point, and everything that was going on with Sawyer and Michael just floating in the ocean, and then when they were with uh, the Tailies, and I said something about the rafter math, and Liam was oh. like, I've never heard that phrase. I'm like, I kind of just, I think I made it up while I was just doing this rewatch. I just, I just didn't want to say raft, you know, everything going on with the raft aftermath. So I just started saying rafter math and it just. There must stuck. be, there must be a Giacchino school called the rap, rap. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't work so well for me because I want to say rafter math. That doesn't work. It only works in the American. Rafter math. Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't actually rhyme with it. Whereas in, because I wouldn't. Yeah. Say it again, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> the the, ra- <laughs> the rafter math. Oh so I would say because I, I would say because I would say the the rafter math. I would still say the math at the end. So it's like I can't. It doesn't work for me. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. I, I wouldn't that. say rafter math. I'd say rafter math. Rafter math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> Back on the beach, in a secluded section, Libby is hypnotizing Claire to try to unlock her memories. Uh, Claire sees Ethan in a doctor's office, and she explains giving the baby up for adoption, and he gives her a shot in her belly. She freaks out after seeing a few more flashes and starts stumbling around before looking, uh, she, you know, she wakes up and looking almost into the camera, which bugs me so much, and that's when she says, it was Ethan. A moment later... Libby is trying to calm her down, and Kate comes to check and starts to put the blame on Libby. Uh, But Libby explains that she didn't do anything wrong. And Claire almost reaffirms this, despite Kate's suspicion, by asking Libby to take her back into her own memories. And Libby thinks it may be a combination of memories, as you said before, uh, Rojan. But Claire insists that it's real, and she enlists Kate's help in finding the room, believing it has the medicine there. Yeah, and I love this because now, you know, the boys are too busy being in the hatch and yelling at each other and whatever. So now the girls get to kind of go on their own mission and do their own thing without anyone telling them, no, you shouldn't go or you should wait for Jack or blah, blah, blah. There's a little bit of that from Sun, which I kind of like would like to get into. But no, I love this little girl's trip. I'm excited. (laughs) I've actually got a second note. Oh, mate, I'm just going to shut up, actually, because it's just adding to me being a 50-year-old man. But it's, no, just, a, it's a second, just a second note about just literally, I've just written, Will Aaron, shut up. <laughs> I, think he's, I, think, I think by this point, he's really starting to get on my nerves. I'm trying to listen to the conversations, and I can't concentrate because I've got this baby crying in the background. I'm not sure what I'm going to do when I have a kid myself. <laughs> 
Hopefully when it's my own, I won't mind so much. Oh my God, that's so funny. I love that. I, to be honest, I didn't think I'd like, I didn't think I had a problem with babies crying, but I have a problem with Aaron crying. Yeah, I think now you've just taken notice of it early in the episode, so yeah. now it's hitting that part in your brain that's really starting to irk you. Yeah, I've, I must have watched this episode 10 times and I've never noticed it before. But then again, um, I haven't turned 50 before and it feels like it's only been this week <laughs> I'm turning 50, so maybe that's it. <laughs> Everyone go wish Andy a happy 50. Yeah, right, 25 going on 50. Oh, I love it. Elsewhere on the island, Mr. Echo is chopping down trees and he heads into the hatch and can't find anyone at first. In the bathroom, Jack closes himself and, ben, uh, and Benry in and he tells him to be quiet. Locke then goes to greet Echo, who asks to borrow a saw. Looking around, Echo notices something strange but doesn't let on just yet. Which I love when characters do that kind of stuff. Like he saw the, the cot in the armory. <laughs> And I just, because you know that it's going to come back later. Absolutely. And it's that moment where you're like, do they know something's off or are they just noticing kind of, you know, what's going on? But I mean, it's Mr. Echo. You're not going to get past Mr. Echo. And of course, he knows something weird is going on. Versus if you had like, not to knock him, but like Charlie or something, he wouldn't necessarily have noticed that. I don't think. I agree. No, I don't think so. Or would have just made some offhand comment about someone taking a nap on duty or whatever. Yeah. Um, back on the beach, Kate approaches Sawyer and tells him she wants a gun and that he doesn't get to ask why. He calls her Thelma and basically says that if she wants a gun, he can ask why all he wants. And she tells him that she wants to track, Dan uh, track down Danielle to get some answers. And, you know, because she thinks or Claire thinks that they could find medicine and things like that. And he offers not only his medicine, but his help on the trek. And she says that she has it handled. Yeah. And he says boys ain't allowed. Yeah. My favorite line of the episode. I think that no boys allowed. Which is Yeah. Which is where I life. thought we could talk about that. Because this is... I've, I think there's a positive and a negative to be drawn to be talked about here. The first, the positive being that we've we've got all this girl power, and I think that's a good thing because um, we don't have that very often in Lost. And um, so, well, we can talk about that first, especially because we've got Rosian here. But then also, what what do you think was the problem with Lost, with the writing or however it was that? They just weren't, we just didn't have good female characters compared to having good male characters. Are you asking me or just like I'm, in general? Sort of both of you. Like, I think it's great that we have this, this female power episode, but really shouldn't we have half the episodes having like strong female characters in them doing things? Because unfortunately we don't most of the time because the female characters just haven't been written as well yeah. you have the same empathy that a lot of the male characters do do you think that was the writers were mainly male i don't know if they were yeah or or, or just because it was this was let's be frank this was this episode was like 15 years ago maybe that had something to do with it I, I don't know but we should have more of these female episodes and this was actually a bad episode unfortunately it's, yeah yeah no well i 
agree that it's, um, I think it's just a combination of things. I think it's um, a lot of men on writing teams, writing characters, writing um, female characters in particular without really knowing how to make them um, just, you know, more in-depth characters rather than just on the surface there to serve whatever is going on with the male characters' issues and storylines. Um, I think this episode did have one female writer on it. Um, I think Dawn Kelly, which maybe also kind of explains why it's a lot more female centric. Um, I don't know. My, my issues with loss and, and kind of rewatching it again, it's been a few years since my last rewatch. Um, I don't know. I think part of it is just people not knowing how to write good female characters. And then even if they are writing female characters they're not really getting input from women and their actual lives and experiences so then it comes off kind of I don't know cheesy or not complete like so many issues with not me but like so many fans have issues with Kate and when I watch and I'm like why though she's literally not doing anything that's like different from you know any other character but for some reason, she gets so much flack for her decisions and the things she does. And honestly, I feel like she's an amazing character, fiercely loyal. She's um, she's just amazing in every way. So I don't, I don't know. And then I look at Claire. You know, Claire's not the strongest of characters. There's not a whole lot going um, with her. She does have a bit of that damsel in distress thing going on and, you know, being pregnant and all that. Um, and then again, son, I understand, you know, where they were kind of going with that whole storyline, but again, she just falls into this kind of submissive, um, like Asian stereotype, which is kind of frustrating to watch, um, especially at the beginning and things like that, because it, it's almost a little forced because, you know, I was just watching another episode from season one, I think, where she's wearing a tank top and, and Jin is saying, you know, go cover yourself up. And like, you don't really see a lot of that kind of perspective from his character. So I don't know why they kind of forced it in there. Like he was never really like that, even in the flashbacks. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? No, you're right. You should have right? been on some of our earlier Jin episodes because we've spoken about Jin and Sun quite a lot. Well, I think I think uh, with with him with that particular thing was that was like when they were together in their culture, and this is just what I, my opinion. When they were together in their culture, it sounds horrible, and I don't mean it the way it sounds, but like she knew her place. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of in their culture, they they make it seem like women are subservient, so she didn't have to worry about is he going to do this or that versus when she got this little bit of freedom because they weren't around everybody else that was like them. She felt, well, now I can be free. This is us starting over versus he's just like, well, no, we need to kind of stick to our old ways. It was just always, she was just always like that. Now she was pushing the boundaries of freedom. Does that make sense? Yeah. But going back, yeah, I, I agree. But going I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying he was right. Obviously not. I'm just yeah. saying like that's what I think. That's why I think he did what he did because she's like, Rogen's right. It wasn't. It didn't fit in with his character, but only because his character didn't have to deal with those situations necessarily in the flashbacks. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't. But going back to like the the female characters, um, it's not that I don't like Kate. I do like Kate in a way, but I just don't feel. 
that strongly about her. I just, like other shows, there are lots of female characters that I really like. And Which ones? A lot of our characters are just, a lot of the female characters, it's not that I don't like them, it's just that they're bland and boring is the problem. Like Claire is horribly bland. And Absolutely. And I think she's super undeveloped. I think they yeah. kind of wrote her character in just so that they could do this parallel with Rousseau on the island and kind of have that storyline going because she doesn't, I don't know, there's not a lot to her. She doesn't really do anything. There's, I don't know. And it's just disappointing to watch because then you have all these like amazing characters and there are, are you know, there are little issues that I have with loss. Another one, I'm sorry to take it here, but with Saeed, like, like, I am of, you know, Middle Eastern background. My my mom is from Iran. My dad's from Syria. So, like, when I first watched the show and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's, like, a Middle Eastern character on this show. It's amazing. Like, he's visually um, has a darker complexion. Like, he's, you know, from the Middle East. And I'm watching. And then, of course, like, the storyline just has to go. Like, he, you know, is in the Republican Guard and was you know, a torturer and all these things and they're calling him terrorists. And I get it, it's post 9-11, but it was just, and it's an interesting story that they kind of explore and humanize him and all that. But even in his flashbacks and stuff like that with the suicide bombings, it's just frustrating to watch because it's like, why did we have to go here? Like, it didn't I honestly have to be- think, I honestly think that that was, like you said, with, with Claire, possibly being written in just so you could have the parallel with Rousseau. I honestly think that that may have been done for the two reasons of one, it was so close after September 11th and they could, you know, say, you know, like, Oh, he's the one who took down the plane. And two, that line very early on when he's talking with Hurley and Hurley's like, Oh yeah, I had a buddy who fought in the Gulf war. Like, where were you? And he just looks and goes Republican guard. Cause it's yeah. just like the complete opposite of what you're expecting in that moment. I think in, in terms of what you're saying, I think those may be the only two reasons that that was written that way. Uh, but I have totally, I don't have any affiliation like, uh, Rosen does with the Middle East, but I have a problem. I, I actually always think it's great how they've done that just because it sort of, it shows how hu- everybody's just human and everybody is nice. And these aren't, it, I, especially with that bit with Hurley, it's like, he's like, he has that initial thought of, oh my God, he's in the Republican Guard. And then all of a sudden he goes, hold on a second, he's human. We're all normal people. And I hope that that is, and the whole idea of that is that it reflects back onto the people watching the TV to then also think the same thing. Absolutely. Oh yeah, Absolutely. for sure. And I'm, yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, they do that, that they really build on his character and, and, you know, they make him someone that's super likable and, and um, digestible and people can kind of see like, right. Like everyone's human, no matter where they come from or what they're doing. It, it was just, you know, just one of those things. And the older I get and the more I rewatch, I'm like, oh, this is really, you know, all, that they could have really fallen back on because um, there's this uh, Persian comedian named Maz Jobrani and one of his um, comedy tours was called I'm Not a Terrorist, I Just Play One on TV and so many roles for Middle Eastern people are always, you know, things like this. Even I think um, on the freighter, you know, there's Omar, which is like, again, Middle Eastern name and coming from the freighter to uh, kill and massacre everyone. It's just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, but I think unfortunately that's, it's just because people find that interesting, don't they? They find it interesting to have that written into a TV show because it's sort of, everybody can relate to it because they see it on the news all the time. And 
I don't know. I think it, it does. It makes for an easy, interesting storyline. But I can yeah, see you, your point. Yeah, but, yeah, but point. you're saying that from our perspective versus yeah. someone like Rojan. And I'm, I don't mean to speak for you, Rojan, but someone like her where she's just like, this is damaging almost. Yeah, I understand what you mean because it's like your, your like normal life. Go, so many people from these um, Middle Eastern countries will go their whole life without <laughs> anything like this. They could just be written in like a normal person. I totally understand that because... Um, but then again, this is an American TV show, so they're trying to represent it like that. Where I can imagine you watch you watch a Middle Eastern TV show, and or I won't say Middle Eastern, but any other like a Chinese TV show, all the American characters in that guaranteed are just going to be American stereotypes. They're not going to be given the ver the variation that you get of Americans in an American TV show. They're probably always eating hamburgers. <laughs> yeah it's just i don't know it's just one of those things where um you know the show is amazing in so many ways but of course at the end of the day it's a product of humans writing a show and all that for entertainment so there's always something to be said about it um i could only hope that as tv moves forward we can see better representations of female yeah. um characters but um agreed um Elsewhere, Claire is leaving Aaron with son, who thinks that she should listen, meaning Claire, should listen to Jack, but Claire thinks Jack may be wrong this time. Claire then asks if son is a mother when son says a mother shouldn't leave her child, and I wrote that this foreshadows the next episode. I also think it's strange because, like, it kind of calls back, in my mind, it called back to when she first had the baby and son was like at a hospital, they would take your baby away from you so that you could sleep. But now all of a sudden son is like, you shouldn't leave your child ever. I just think that's right. kind of weird. Well, even more funny is what son then, son then leaves her child and then dies. Exactly. With Jin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wrote that too. The fact that uh, she says that, which is ironic for many reasons. One, because I think, is it the next episode we find out she's pregnant? We find out she's pregnant. Correct. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. But then also, yeah, later on in like way down the line, she ends up leaving her kid with whoever and comes back to the island. So it just kind of goes back to, you know, I think whenever a situation happens, we think we would react or do something in a certain way. But of course, we never know until we're in that situation ourselves what we would actually do. That that goes to the earlier conversation about the whole Jack versus Locke thing. Exactly. Exactly. You don't know until you're in it. Um, and then Sun then asks Claire if she's sure that she wants to do this, and this triggers something in Claire's memory. Uh, in the faux doctor's office, Ethan goes to put another needle into her belly, and I wrote the fact that the label on the bottle contains all of the numbers. Yeah. Um, My comment then, here was... Uh... This that is. Was, a, I've never I, thought you're, I thought you were just gonna end it at. Eh. <laughs> but this is another problem I had with this episode was I. I think this is very much like network American TV where it has to be made easy and understandable for everybody. It's just a bit simple in my mind. Basically, long story short, there's a lot of pseudoscience in this where it's obviously not real. Because I think I, the U.S. military would literally kill for this sedative that they're using on Claire. Why couldn't they, it? Wouldn't be too difficult to come up with a different story where she hasn't been 
drugged by some drug that obviously doesn't exist, where she like bows to his every need. Just yeah. a lot of crap. There's a lot of crap made up stuff. I mean, I know it's like a sci-fi show, and obviously it's impossible that you could have a, a smoke monster. Blood that was going to be well, my response. Was well, we'll believe in the concept of the smoke monster? That sort of stuff's fine. It's just that this kind of the midway stuff where she's talking about that we've had in this episode, but this sedative and and Libby explaining like dumbing it down, but like it's obviously bullshit. That's the stuff I have a problem with. And I've never really noticed that before. Like Lost is normally quite good at being really realistic with how things would work in the real life. But then Smoke also having the totally. having the crazy sci-fi as well. We don't need all this like really shitty CW sort of crap. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? That's what we've got here. <laughs> oh so, no. <laughs> yeah. That's it was so funny. It was like huge rant <laughs> it is though this episode kind of reminds me like it could easily be an episode of vampire diaries as opposed to like the quality because like, normally yeah. you have like lots of bloody lots of um losses like game of thrones quality but then you also have this sort of crap basically yeah <laughs> you are really offended by this episode I was, I was I, it's not that I was offended. It's like, it, I've just, I just noticed a lot of things about it. I obviously haven't watched it, this episode in a long time or watched it um, with my eyes glued to it for probably quite some years. And I'm just, I think I'm just sad that I'm, I never saw these flaws when I watched it before, I think is my problem I'm having with myself. It's like, I'm each, maybe it's because I'm critiquing it, but especially the episodes I watch like this, I'm like, I'm noticing things I don't like about Lost, which I didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I think it's a combination of really paying attention to every scene and word and movement, but then also just getting older and how TV has been evolving since Lost, because obviously Lost opened the doors for a lot of TV shows to be even greater um, than they could have been before Lost. So I think it's just a combination of all those things. So it's okay to feel that way. Oh, thanks. You're making me feel better. <laughs> Friends. Yeah, you're helping me not. I'm five years off my life now. There we go. I'm back to 45. Let's try 45 now, yeah. yeah. Let's, keep, let's keep working me back down to my real age. Well, I'll just appreciate it. Hopefully we'll get there by the end of this recording. Yeah. Um... Ethan then takes Claire to another room. They walk down a hallway, which has a Dharma logo on it. And uh, he takes her to a nursery. She then randomly asks what happened to Charlie. And he lies uh, that he let Charlie go back to their camp. And I remember as I'm watching this, because as I watch it, I pause it and I take notes. And I just paused it as I was getting ready to type something out. And I just go, oh, he lied. (laughs) (laughs) Um. When asking where everything came from, which is, of course, that's that's probably like the one at, at that point, I would assume the audience the first time watching it kind of perks up because they're like, oh, are they going to finally answer something like that? And all he says is like, oh, that answer would be too overwhelming for you right now. And I'm just like, come like every time I'm like, I just I shake my head because like I just feel for the first time watcher going, I just want some answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she finds a mobile hanging above the crib with planes on it. 
And not only do they look like they have the Oceanic logo on them, but when she turns it on, it's playing uh, Catch a Falling Star, which I just absolutely love that callback. Mm-hmm. To when she um, wants the adoptive parents, I think, to sing to the baby. Um, yep. Right? Yeah. That part. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was great. I, lo- I like that, too. Uh, and then Ethan gets called out of the room by a man who we saw previously and we know is actually named Tom. Uh, and this time he doesn't have his beard, however, and he's in like a, 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 not a dress shirt, but like a nice button down shirt. And, um, I believe before I continue with this, Rojen has a little something she wants to say. Yeah. Okay. So for um, any and all Lost fans, and especially those Tom-friendly fans, um, I just wanted to say my very, very, very good friend, um, Brad Elmore, is a writer and director in L.A. He is also my best friend for his boyfriend. And um, he has just finished a movie called Boogeyman Pop that is set to come out hopefully soon. We don't have a date yet. But um, MC Ganey is in it, along with James Paxton, who is Bill Paxton's son, um, Dominique Booth, and Kyle Cameron, who plays Slugger. It is amazing. Um, Please go watch the trailer. Um, He worked really, really, really hard on it, and it really shows. Um, And yeah, for any Lost fans that want a familiar face, it's definitely the go-to movie. Um, Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy if you do watch. Um, absolutely no sponsorship for that. We just truly believe in that product. <laughs> yeah, definitely go watch the trailer because it's up, I think, on YouTube if you look up Boogeyman Pop. And it's amazing. Like, you know, he didn't Is it amazing because you're Halloween crazy or is it genuinely amazing? I am Halloween crazy, <laughs> but no, I mean, Brad's just amazing at what he does. He, you know, doesn't often have, you know, tons and tons and tons of money behind his productions because he kind of does everything on his own and so when you watch it you almost forget that you're not watching something that um, has a lot of money behind it so yeah the colors are great everything is great he's just got a really keen eye for what looks good on the screen and um, yeah I encourage everyone to go watch the trailers it's got a bit of a spooky feel to it but yeah no it's got a great I will you'll have to send it over to us post post the trailer in the in the um, YouTube comment or something on this. Cool. Yeah, good idea. I will. Clock shelves will send out that uh, trailer the day that this goes up. So if you are not 100% sure on the day that this goes up, check uh, Clock Shelves Facebook, Twitter, all that sort of stuff, and we will have the link to the YouTube uh, trailer. Um, okay, so Tom asks what happened, and Ethan basically says how he had to improvise because they had the manifest. They figured out that he wasn't on the plane. Again, referring back to a bunch of season one uh, storylines. And Tom mentions telling him, implying that there is a leader higher than himself, because at this point, everything we've seen, he seems to be like the highest whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, everyone thinks at first that he's kind of the leader. Um, but this, I guess, is the first time we kind of hear otherwise. Right. All sort of crazy things going through your head, because you've also seen him without a beard. So you're like, yeah, you've never, you're not quite sure what to, what to think. Yeah. Exactly. Especially from my point of view, because I can remember watching this, and, yeah, the internet was just going crazy. Um, 
it, that, that's what I love the most about it. I'm not trying to um, make you guys feel left out, but those that, those <laughs> three episodes were just, that's what I love the most about Lost, just being able to go on there and and. I wasn't much of, I, well, I didn't come up with any theories, really. I think I was too young to come up with theories, but, um, or just not smart enough, probably the latter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but reading what other people were saying on the forums and things like that, and just guessing at, <laughs> guessing at, like, what, and obviously every single theory was wrong. <laughs> oh, my but, goodness. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I definitely feel like, I, I mean, that is one of the things when I watch it, I, I do get that instance of like, I wish I hadn't been spoiled on certain things while watching it. And I definitely wish that I could have had all of that interaction. And I mean, I, I like I said, I've, I've, I kind of got it in seasons five and six through Twitter a little bit, but I definitely wish I could have gone back and, you know, like watched it from the very beginning because then I could have had all of those moments. However, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't want to trade in the binging concept because I hate waiting for, I mean, as much as the talking about it in between helps the waiting, I just, I just, I would hate waiting that long. I hated waiting week to week during seasons five and six. I couldn't imagine doing it for six seasons. Mm -hmm. It's a funny one because yeah, I, with Lost, I would have just, I would have, if I could have binged it, I would have binged it. But things like, I mean, Stranger Things season two just came out and like, mm -hmm. one episode, I have no problem. But like, I'm probably going to watch that at a slower rate than one episode a week. So I, but maybe I'm just older now. And But I mean, Game of Thrones. 45 gave, does that to you. If you, yeah. Yeah, if you gave me six episodes of, if you gave me the final six episodes of Game of Thrones, I mean, I wouldn't sleep. I would watch them. I probably wouldn't even go to work in the morning if I'd carry on watching it. But with any, but that would be the only TV show. A lot, if Lost had new episodes of Game of Thrones, I'd probably never. Anything else, I can, I can just happily just watch it at a pedestrian pace. Yeah, yeah you have more self-control than I do. I, I binge everything. I watched all of Stranger Things in almost one day. Same yeah. The New Black. You know, I don't even get... I, I just leave it halfway through an episode. I, I don't think... I think I'm halfway through one of the episodes, and I just... Yeah. Oh, I just can't do that. Uh, as Claire is snapping back to reality, she quickly hears a voice that says, get out of here. Um, back on the beach, Sun then asks if Claire is okay, and she uh, Claire is confused. Kate then comes to get Claire, make sure she's okay, and then they head out into the jungle. Uh, a bit later in the jungle, Kate is tracking Danielle's trail, and Claire wants to know more about Danielle, and Kate says about the research team and how they all died. Trying to change the subject, Kate says that the trail is gone, but Claire won't let it go and wants to know how the research team died. Kate then says that Danielle killed them, and Danielle emerges to confirm that it was because they were infected. Uh, Claire then demands that Danielle take her back to where she scratched her, and she mentions remembering things, including a room, medicine, and a teenage girl. Uh, Danielle gets this little glimmer in her eye, of course, and she says that it isn't that far. When you guys were first watching this, did you put that together? The girl, the teenage girl thing? Yeah, I think when I first watched it right away, um, it made sense to me. Like, it makes sense. But 
see, this is the, the other thing that I absolutely love about this show is that the casting for like, um, like the kids, um, like little Jack and Kate and all that. And then with Russo and Alex here is just so amazing. Like it's really well done. So you actually do kind of get this idea of a resemblance. So yeah, right away, I think I had noticed like, ah, I know what they're doing here. I can't remember for the life of me, but you know by the end of the episode, that for sure. Yeah. Um, well, as far as I know, back when it was, what I, from what I read at least, when it was originally on, all the things and even, I don't think it was Lostpedia at the time, but there had been like things about it, like say on just regular Wikipedia or whatever, because uh, Alex was never referred to anything other than Alex. It was never male or female or what have you. So well, no, I, I think everybody... Think it was, I definitely did think it was a guy for a long... This might be, I do remember that. I can't remember when we found out. But yeah, I definitely remember thinking... It was this episode. This is the episode where we find out it's Alex is a female, not a male. Yeah, it it must have been, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that. Bear in mind, what, I was was 13 when I watched this. So I don't think I really put much together. I think I was basically, if this is a saying, I was as gullible as Claire. I'm going to let that (laughs) catch on now because Claire is fucking gullible. Um... But basically, during my period of watching Lost, especially in the early seasons, I was just, I was a goldfish. I was. You were all about. We. I we know, my, you, you were all about Shannon. All, we know. I was all about Shannon. No, but basically, any tiny twist, no matter how, how easy it was to guess, I doubt I guessed it, which was great because it just meant I got that Lost rush every time, and every they fooled me every time, which was just fantastic. Um. Back on the beach, Jack is getting water, and he is approached by Mr. Echo. Echo wants to know who the man in the hatch is, and he confirms that Locke didn't tell him, because I just love that, where he's just like, did Locke say it? He's like, Locke didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he expresses that he wants to speak to the man alone, and basically blackmails Jack by implying that he'll continue to keep the secret if Jack lets him speak to the man. I just love that where he's just like, you do want to keep this a secret still, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of blackmail from a priest. <laughs> he's a. Uh, I like Echo, and it's, it's strange why. Why everybody everybody loves Echo, and he's actually his character is is horrible. You he's know not, why? Because no, good. because we didn't get any answers. We're, it's not so much that we love him; we're just intrigued by him. He was, he was always very nice to everybody on the island, wasn't he? And he was always, he was always, he's a very modest character. And he was always, but again, in his flashbacks, even in his flashbacks, you could see his love for his brother and things, but he was also just, he was a bad person, wasn't he? It's similar, it makes me think of, um, did either of you watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much like that Walter White effect. It's this terrible, awful human being, like killing people, like drugs, like all this stuff going on. But for some reason, like the audience, the majority of the audience is kind of rooting for them and and uh, just likes them and likes to see what they're doing. But I watch. But I think with Walter White, you you don't you he's a fantastic character, but you can see he's not a nice person, or especially in the later seasons. Whereas I watch Lost, and it's like Echo, he's a bad person, yet I look at him, I think, oh, I think I can get on quite well with him on the island. <laughs> well, I think, it's, I think it's more like Locke, in, because like Locke was so 
angry and like he hated the world because he was a victim of circumstance and this, that, and the other thing. But yet when he's on the island, he's just so ple like, I mean, except for a few times when he does lose his temper, but he's just so pleasant and whatever. So, I mean, you could argue maybe, I mean, it, I actually say it at the end of this episode, but like the island changed those characters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like as, as, in terms of echo with this episode in particular, he gets absolution. He feels so Absolutely. it makes sense that in the flashback, you know, and it's it's kind of the whole thing with Jack, and I, I understand, you know, him being the main character. It was that thing that he needed to kind of learn throughout the entirety of the show was who you were in your past life doesn't matter. Like, and he says it at the very beginning of the series. Everyone gets a new life on this island. Some of them chose to go with it. Some of them didn't. Right. Right. Anyway, it's a great character. It is It is an interesting thing to kind of think about that, um, you know, someone who is kind of running this huge drug operation out of a church and, and killing people and, you know. Anyway, yeah, it's just interesting to grapple that idea that someone who could do so many terrible things can then be such a likable character. Ben. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, in the jungle, Danielle takes Claire and Kate to a spot that Claire doesn't recognize. Danielle says that this is where Claire scratched her and asks Claire where to go next. And then there's this scene. I love this scene because they just argue over which one of them should know the way to go. And Claire mentions how she believes that Danielle was trying to take her back to the others. But Danielle is confused and tries to explain that that isn't what happened. She, gra she gets angry and grabs Claire, which causes Kate to raise her gun to Danielle. And then Danielle almost walks, like she walks towards the gun, wishing almost for Kate to actually shoot her. But mm -hmm. instead, Kate goes after Claire, who has run off. Mm -hmm. And she sees a log, which starts another memory. Uh, Ethan walks into a nursery setup where Claire is crocheting a sock for the baby and Ethan wants to take her on a walk outside. He's giving her something from a canteen, which continues to drug her, and she mentions how mm -hmm. it's sour, but he acts nonchalant about it. Um, he gives her a speech about how he's going to miss her, and she questions why she can't go as well, because she's not infected. Uh, I wrote, but knowing she's drugged, and he's, uh, he simply says that hopefully she stays that way, when he sends her back to camp and they take the baby and he doesn't really give her an answer because he knows that he doesn't have to when she's in that state. Mm -hmm. This whole scene is just so creepy, like just in so many ways. The fact that he's like, you know, that he's drugged her. She doesn't really know what's going on. He's like alone with her, touching her. He like puts, they do that like camera zoom where he puts his hand on her leg. I definitely then... got like a roofy vibe watching it this yeah, time. Yeah. It's like really uncomfortable to watch. And he's saying he's going to miss her and all those things. But then he kind of gives her this illusion of consent or choice. Like, you know, we wouldn't take the baby away unless you let us kind of thing, even though he's manipulating her. Like she has no idea what's going on. Um, she's obviously been drugged, but I don't know. It just gives me so many creepy feelings just him touching her and her being drugged it's it's really really uncomfortable absolutely and then as you said he gives her the false thing of consent where he says that she needs to be sure 
And then we see the camera arc around and we see present Claire looking at the log and she actually sees herself and Ethan. But all I could think of as much as yes, like uh, not even seconds before there is like that completely creepy vibe. All I think every time is that that is such a terrible Claire wig on that stand in who, because like we can't see her face and her, you know, mm. her head is turned. And all I think is that is a terrible wig right there. Oh, I don't think I noticed that. I wasn't watching for that. That's funny. Um, back in the rain, Kate and Danielle have caught up with Claire who runs off again. And Danielle holds Kate back. Uh, so that Claire can look, but Kate questions what she could possibly be looking for. And of course, Claire uncovers the door to the Dharma station. <laughs> Woo-hoo! And I wrote, Finally. I wrote, Kate is flabbergasted. <laughs> of course, she just kind of pulls that out of nowhere. Um, and then they head down the creepy steps and the hallway and Kate finds flashlights and hands them out. And she goes to find a fuse box. Uh, Claire and Danielle continue down the corridor until they get to a dark room. And she recognizes it as the nursery, just as Kate turns the power on. Been abandoned. No one's there. Everything looks like it's kind of been rushed out. Yeah. Um, Kate finds lockers and disguises, much like the ones that the others were using when they were holding her at gunpoint. And she even finds theatrical glue. Um, back in the, and this, of course, that lends to seeing Tom earlier. So, you know, we may start to put some things together in our mind at that point. Um, back in the nursery, Claire finds the sock that she made, uh, on the floor. And this leads to another memory. This time it's the teenage girl that we've seen flashes of. She helps Claire up and is telling her that she needs to get out of there. Uh, she tells Claire that they're going to cut the baby out of her tonight. Which is even, like, that lends more to, like, that whole creepy thing from before. Absolutely. Um, Claire doesn't believe her, and she keeps saying that she's sure and that Ethan wouldn't hurt her. And the girl then knocks Claire out with a rag, saying that she'll thank her one day. Yeah, I've just got a general general comment here that I, I do remember at the time of watching this, of thoroughly enjoying it. And I think that was just because we had this mystery of what happened to Claire and, and, and we were getting answers and obviously watching Lost, you, you're never sure when you're going to get answers. So when you do make sure you appreciate them and you accept them there and then, but then looking back at it now, like I've said in this episode, I haven't, didn't really enjoy it. It's just, look, I just see it as a complete filler episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this, at this moment, I was just thinking that earlier that I, I, I did remember thoroughly enjoying the episode the first time I watched it. Yeah, I think that's the thing with this episode. I think it's one of those episodes that is really, really good and fun to watch the first time around or on your first rewatch, just because there are kind of those interesting um, reveals and connections that are made in terms of, you know, the others aren't these kind of, um, you know, bearded, baggy-looking people living in the woods. They're um, quite civilized and, you know, they're just putting, they're very calculated in what they're doing in terms of wearing um, hats and wigs and the clothes and the reveal of, you know, there's someone higher up than Tom Friendly that we should now know about the reveal of Alex 
um, another station, another Dharma station. And yeah, and then the whole B lot, uh, B plot with Ben or Benry, as Paul likes to say. Um, and just starting to learn a little bit more um, of who he is and his personality and the manipulation at the end of this episode with John. So I think it's one of those first time around really good episodes. Maybe not on your like 10th rewatch. I think that's partly because, I mean, as uh, it sounds horrible to say, but like in the grand scheme of things, and it, it definitely leads to Andy's thing, which I agree with, which is the fact that like Jack is the the main character of the show. Like Jack, Locke, Sawyer, Kate, like these are your your main characters. These are, as they call them, like on Lostpedia, the A-team. Claire's story doesn't really matter in my opinion, to the overall plot of the show. Agreed. I think whether she's there or she's not there really doesn't make a difference for the show, which is unfortunate because it is one of the few female characters that are kind of on the show. Um, okay, so in the present, Claire gets up needing to go to the room with the medical supplies. She puts the sock in her pack before heading there. She tries to lift. I it's I wrote fridge. That that is a fridge, right? Yeah, it's like a fridge for medical stuff, though. Okay. Um, she tries to lift the fridge, but she can't do it alone, and Danielle won't help her. So she calls to Kate, uh, and she and Kate lift it together. But once Claire opens it, there's nothing inside, and she's distraught. And I was watching her lift the pans the shelves that are like nothing basically they're just like a few bars and she's like looking under them like you can literally reach your hand through what are you looking for <laughs> cool i just want to go back to that because i'm not sure why this sounds so strange to me but um you saying fridge it's just i always think of fridge as being quite english because i i always think americans would always say refrigerator oh whereas like no. english just say fridge. Like I would never hear, and I've never heard anybody in England say I'm going to the refrigerator. Whereas all I think of as Americans always having to say refrigerator. I rarely ever hear anyone say refrigerator. Okay. Unless it's like, just... I mean, unless you're you're saying like even still, like if you were saying like, oh my, you know, you don't necessarily want to say like my fridge is on the fritz, but so you might say refrigerator then, or you might say you know like, oh, you want to refrigerate something, but I can't think of the last time I heard somebody probably say refrigerator like the full on word. Um, once again, angrily accusing Danielle of trying to bring her back there, Claire has a final memory where she realizes the truth. In the memory, the teenage girl has taken Claire into the jungle, uh, where Claire, of course, wakes up alone. She's looking for Ethan, and Ethan and the others are a distance away looking for her. They yell for each other before Danielle approaches to take her away from them. Trying to struggle out of Danielle's grasp, Claire scratches Danielle, and Danielle has no choice but to knock Claire out to keep her away from the others. By the way, how many times has she been knocked out in this episode? It's no wonder she has, like, amnesia or whatever Libby said. Like, I was going to say the same thing. It's so funny. Like like mother, like daughter, I guess, because Alex knocks her out with the chloroform, and then yeah. she gets the rifle in the head. Like, oh, my gosh. just Well, I had, I had some friends do a um, watch loss for the first time quite recently, and they said, they, said um, they, they loved it. The two things they had a problem with, like most people who watch it for the first time um, and binge it all, um, and they had that much appreciation. They obviously hated the ending. 
And the other one was they hated, they, they were getting fed up of how often people got knocked out. Literally every episode, like three people would get, get knocked out. There is a lot of, yeah, people yeah. getting hit in the head, um, which makes my head start hurting when I watch this because it's like, oh my gosh, again. Yeah, and especially when you've got crying in the background. Yeah, oh my gosh. There needs to be more concussions happening on this show, but. Um, in the present, Claire admits that Danielle was trying to save her, and Danielle confirms before leaving as she didn't find what she was looking for either. Uh, on their way back, Danielle says that this is where she leaves them, and Claire asks about Alex, and this is where we finally get the confirmation that Alex was a girl. And Claire says that she remembers a girl with blue eyes, not like the others who saved her. She was good. This makes Danielle happy, but she still feels for Claire not finding her answers. She also says that she hopes that Aaron isn't infected, but and basically says that uh, if he is, Claire may have to put her baby down. Like, that was a horrible way to like end your little adventure with them. <laughs> Yeah, definitely kind of a downer at the end of all of that. Yeah. Um, and that's, as I said, that's how she leaves. In the hatch, Echo and Jack enter, and Jack tells John that Echo knows about their guest, and John isn't surprised. Jack tells Echo that Benry is smart and not to offer up too much info. Locke says not to mention what the alarm is for, and Echo questions what it is for, and I just love the look that Jack gives Locke. Just this glance yeah. of like, yeah, good question, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it is great. I love that. Yeah, I love that moment. It, I might have to go rewatch that now. Yeah, that one look just has so much information and meaning behind it. I just love it. Great acting. They are the three best actors on the show, though, hands down. Matthew Fox, Terry O'Quinn, and um, Michael Emerson. I don't think anybody comes close to the three I agree. of them. I would, I honestly would argue also for Evangeline Lilly, because whenever I watch her, I genuinely believe what she's selling me. Like, I honestly think she's very, very good at what she does. But those, yeah. In front of her head. I don't know. I just love it. It's very nice. The three of them save this episode. I mean, Evangeline Lilly, I never have a problem with her. I never have a problem with her acting. And, And she is a great actress, but so, like, well, just Michael Emerson in this episode just. You, you actually have to just. I agree. No, I agree with you 100%. Um, especially because I don't really like um, Emily DeLavain's acting at all. So, it, and the fact that she's such a big part of this episode, it, it's kind of distracting. But the rest of them do a phenomenal job. It's just incredible. In the armory, Echo introduces himself to the man who introduces himself as Henry Gale. Uh, he asks Benry some generic questions before telling him basically the story, his story in the other 48 days, that he killed the others, that he's sorry about it, and that he's back on a righteous path. Um, Benry is confused, but Echo says that he needed to tell someone. He then takes his knife, which scares Benry, and Echo cuts off the two pieces of hair that he grew on his beard in remembrance of these two men. He believes he is absolved. I was going to say, why do you guys think he chooses to tell this new random person? Like, why him and not somebody else in the group? Everyone else already has their 
um, what's the word? Not prejudices, but everyone else already kind of has their mind made up. Whether they yeah. know these tailies or not, they all feel a certain way about them. Like a preconceived notion of Thank what you. they that are. Thank you. That was it. That was it. Maybe on the other side, maybe Echo. Yeah, actually, Echo's got no idea going in there whether he's another or not. So, yeah, I think what you said, right? I was going to say maybe he knows he's another, other, but this is literally the first time he's met him. So, he, yeah, he's got to go in there with absolutely no preconceptions made. Um, on the beach a bit later, Jack is checking in on the baby and says that the fever is breaking. Claire is incredibly happy. Uh, after Jack walks away, she gives Aaron the sock that she made for him, and she apologizes to him for wanting to ever give him up. She tells him that she loves him. Um, back in the armory, Locke brings Benry more food. They have a discussion, again, about Hemingway and Dostoevsky, and Benry asks Locke some poignant questions while also asking why Locke lets the doctor call the shots. And then I wrote, Benry, master manipulator, apologizes, but not sincerely. Outside the armory, Locke throws dishes, and Benry hears him, knowing that he struck a nerve. Okay, I love this. I love this scene. I think this is so great. Um, just because when I think about it, so he really did get to Locke, and I think he knew that he was going to be able to get to Locke. Like, it's finally his chance to be alone with Locke and get into his head. But it's like, maybe he wouldn't have pulled that if it had been just him and Jack together. You know what I mean? Like, he knew how to get to Locke and that it would work. Which I just love that. He gets in his head right away. And that's the relationship they have for, like, pretty much the rest of the series. Yeah, it's also because Locke knows he... Locke's throwing it, thinking, how, how has um, Ben seen straight through this? Because it's almost like Locke knows that um, Jack uh, is making the decisions, but Locke is almost trying to fool everybody that he's also making the decisions, and everybody kind of thinks Locke is also making the decisions, but Locke knows he's not, and he's just been found out. Yeah, it's a great scene, and I love this because, again, it really sets up kind of the relationship they end up having for the rest of the series, and um, yeah, I don't think he would have, like, Ben wouldn't have pulled that with Jack because maybe he knew Jack kind of feels more solid in himself and his role. Whereas Locke is easy to kind of manipulate and shake his belief in himself. Yeah. It's almost like if, if uh, Ben said that to Jack and said, um, why do you let uh, Locke, the box man, <laughs> um, order you around? Jack would just be like, Jack just wouldn't care either way. Jack doesn't care if somebody thinks somebody's telling him orders or he's giving the orders because, like you say, Jack's comfortable in his in his role 100%, whereas Locke isn't. Locke wants to be more, and he knows he's not. Yeah, totally, and you get to see that in this scene. It's just a great scene. I think Ben would have gone the other way instead of saying, if it were to have happened, I don't think he would have necessarily said, why do you let the box man you know, tell you what to do, it would be more like, wow, you must be so great that everyone lets you be the leader. And he would have gotten in his head that way because Jack doesn't necessarily, I mean, he does think of himself as the leader, but he also believes that he doesn't have what it takes to be a leader. So I think but he would have also, manipulated I'm him that also way. seeing that Jack, 
Ben can't really manipulate Jack. And you see it in season three. Ben doesn't have this control over Jack at all. The, the only way Jack, Ben manages to, quote, like, manipulate Jack is literally by threatening um, Kate, Kate's life. That's the only reason he ends up doing the operation, whereas he's got true manipulation over Locke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, that psychological manipulation knows yeah. exactly how to get in his head. But, guys, that's all I have uh, for this episode. Do we have any other comments or anything like that about the episode? I think it had some... Yeah, like we said before, just overall, the, I didn't really enjoy the A storyline, but the B storyline was filled with some of the best acting in the entire series, I think, to be honest. Getting some of the stuff with Locke and, and, um, and Henry... And some of, and just those little nuance things, like you say, like that look from Jack at Echo about the, about yeah, what does this clock do? Just, I think it had some of the best acting in the entire series. Yeah, I agree. Overall, not the most uh, memorable episode. Definitely, like I said earlier, an episode that probably would have been a lot more interesting to a viewer, first time viewer or first time rewatcher. But, I mean, it has its good points too again i'm always one for um the women going out and leading their own missions so that was fun to watch and yeah just like andy said the acting is phenomenal like anytime you have that group of actors together you know you're going to get a really good scene and especially these early scenes where ben is introduced and you don't quite know what's going on and how to feel just phenomenal it's amazing so that was the discussion on maternity leave. Rojan, how did you like being on the podcast for the first time? I loved it. It was so much fun. It was it took a lot longer than I thought. But honestly, when you're in the company of people you like talking to, it goes by pretty quickly. So I would definitely love to come back. You are welcome back anytime. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Andy, of course, as always, lovely to have you on the show. Been a pleasure. Um, and that is going to do it for this episode of Lost with Friends. So I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Hey, everybody. Paul here. Uh, here is a little extra piece from the recording of this episode that didn't quite fit, but I couldn't just leave it on the cutting room floor. So here is a quick story from Andy about a losty experience he had in England upon returning home. Hope you enjoy. Oh, I love it. So um, this is the week after we came back um, from Hawaii. Um, I mean, I, we, we, me and my siblings got last-minute tickets to Michael... Uh, Giacchino at the Royal Albert Hall for his 50th birthday when he played a magical parting words. Um, but what was really strange was because we had a little lottery union. I met um, Bill from New Jersey and and I was me and Arthur because um, we got there first before Tony and Ali. We were feeling pretty left out. There was this massive um, UK lost community that we hadn't been a part of. That like there was about. 20 people there, all from the UK, who all knew each other. There was also um, uh, Ian Knight, 
uh, the ball guy, if you know him, he took, took some of the pictures and designed the um, the logos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, he was there. I knew him. Um, but there were all these other guys that hadn't actually been to the Lost conventions, um, but they, they'd all done all this stuff in the UK before, like while Lost was on, and they'd all, they'd all like met up for different things, gone to conventions in the UK together. And we were like, man, we've been missing out. I mean, we are kind of a different generation to them. They're all a little bit older, like 30s and 40s potentially. But um, it was like all these, U- this is like this UK Lost group that we hadn't known about. But then we were the one, cause, but to be fair, the only Lost stuff I've really ever done is gone to 14 or 17. I haven't really done anything else. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Lost them off.